Hello, everybody, and Happy New Year. Welcome back to a brand new season of the Sit Rep Podcast. Joining me today is the crew, and we're going to be talking about what happened over our Christmas New Year's break, where are we going in the next few months, and any other projects and videos and all kinds of goodness related to historical wargaming. And we will see you shortly on the other side in three, two, one. You are listening to the Citrep Podcast, your source for everything related to historical wargaming. Whether you are looking for the latest wargaming news, reviews, painting tutorials, or playthroughs, you will hear about it right here. So grab your favorite beverage or brush and let's hit it. Happy New Year and welcome back for another season. This is season seven. You heard me right. I said season freaking seven. And with me, as always, is our big historical guru, and I mean big in the brain, Mr. Big Jim Mariskini. How are you, sir? Good morning, everybody. Sorry about that. I was looking for the mute button. <laughs> no problem. Nothing brings down wrath <laughs> faster like a freaking Katusha barrage than somebody who talks in the middle of Bill's intro. So I always make sure I mute myself during the intro, and then I forget where the mute button is when it's time to talk again. Sorry, everybody. Oh, that's all right. Dead. It's a new year. We've had a little bit of a break. Well, some of us, some of us have been very, very busy over our, our holiday break, and we're going to talk about Jim's forays into the North Pole and into uh, American Revolution here shortly. But also joining us is the internet guy, that man who keeps all the wires from getting crossed, or has he already crossed his wires? Mr. Chris, how are you, sir? I'm doing okay. How y'all doing? Wonderful. And there is the man, the news dude, the project guy, the uh, jack of all trades, master of none, Mr. Martin. How are you, sir? Oh, I'm well. Emphasis on master of none, please. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm doing well. Good. Doing well. Glad, glad to be back at it. All right. So it's a new year. Got a lot of stuff going on. I thought we'll hit it. Um, let's do a quick catch up of what you did over your, you know how, like, remember when you went back to school in grade school and you always had to write a report what I did over my summer break or whatever I did over my Christmas break? Let's do the elevator pitch one. Uh, Marty, what did you do over your holiday break? Well, uh, let's see. I printed out a hundred uh, little uh, uh, colonial Brits uh, that were the wrong size. So then I printed out a hundred more that are the right size. And uh, yeah, I've been working on those guys. They're all based up. I've got the first squad. Well, probably more than a squad. It's uh, I'm looking at my paint desk. I don't know, like a dozen of them. Uh, fully painted. They just need their bases done. And then the rest of them, uh, need paint still, but nice. It's only four colors, five colors. So yeah. it goes pretty quick. You know, the paint the jacket super fast. The white takes a little longer cause it's, uh, some detail work. And then, you know, paint the rifles, put a wash on them and Bob's your uncle. That's right. So, 
And the nice thing about it is even the uh, web gear, you know, being a white, it, some of it's leather, some of it's like a canvas. Um, it don't We don't have to match the shade entirely because, you know, they've been marching in South Africa heat. Well, it's January. Yeah, that's their summer down there So because they're south of the equator. So it's dusty, it's dirty, it's sandy. So, you know, you're going to have all different shades of white, off-white, tan, beige, whatever. So that, that's a nice thing. And you're right, it's only a few colors. So it makes painting pretty easy. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's not like trying to, you know, I don't know, paint 100 dudes a multi-cam or something. Right. You know, so uh, it goes pretty quick. And then, like I said, you know, you throw a sepia wash on them to, you know, give them, give them that uh, been in the field kind of look and, uh, I think they're they're turning out uh, really nice. Now, if I would, you know, you know they, these are all resin prints, so uh, they're really light. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and they're and they're on MDF bases, so again, really light. And there may have been a couple of casualties along the way where I uh, knocked them off my desk, <laughs> as Chris was saying during pre-show. I broke a dude's leg up, snapped him off right at the leg. Yeah. So. I, w- I went and printed a, an, an extra 10 because I'm like, hmm, I might need these. As well as somewhere in the mix, you know, so I'm, u- I'm using, uh, you know, I have, I have two files because, like I said, the first time I printed them too small. Mm-hmm. So scaled them up, printed out a bunch more. Well, apparently somewhere in that print run, because I was printing them out 10 at a time, uh, somewhere in there, uh, I hit the wrong file because I didn't delete the other file off of my flash drive that uh-huh. I have in my printer, and I printed out ten little ones. Oops, that that are mixed in with my hundred big ones. <laughs> so I'm priming and I'm priming them, and I'm like, that dude looks really small. <laughs> <laughs> so, and uh, I don't know what I did, but let's see: one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. I found eight of them. So there's probably two little dudes still in the mix somewhere. <laughs> I don't know. We'll, we'll, we'll find them. You know, when, once you stand them all next to each other and whatnot, uh, you know, you, you can kind of pick out, hey, why is that guy so short? Exactly. Exactly. I, I still say that you need to have that one guy you broke his leg. He needs to be splinted. An obvious splinted guy. Because there's going to be those. Yeah, well, yeah. Other than that, uh, you know, made, made a couple trips out to our friendly local game stores in the area. So, yeah. uh, got got some supplies for primarily for this this project and whatnot. Yep. Uh, uh, on support your local guy. That's right. On a on a totally unrelated project, uh, I'm working on uh, uh, a uh, a little mini diorama as a gift for uh, my daughter whose birthday is next week, and I did my first resin pour ever. Oh, and yeah, I was pretty excited about how well it turned out what after are you pouring I resin? it up the first time. So, uh, it's a, uh, my daughter, as you know, is a huge Harry Potter fan. Mm-hmm. So I got a little, a little teeny tiny, like one over, you know, 750th scale, uh, printout of Hogwarts and I've got it on a plinth and then, you know, there's that big lake that goes around it. So I made that out of resin. The problem is being new at this, well, you know, you probably should have sealed that up better because almost the entire thing leaked out the first floor. Oh, you poured the water as resin? Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. You got to seal it. Good. 
Wait a minute. Did you use yeah. resin or did you go to like get the uh, um, Woodland Scenics water stuff? Because that no, stuff's amazing. No, I got uh, uh, a small clear resin pour kit. Oh, okay. So it's it's actually two part resin that's meant for uh, for pouring. It's not like you know epoxy glue. Yeah. But uh, yeah, that was that was heinous the first go around. But this is <laughs> after learning my lessons. Uh, you know, shorted up, fixing things. Mm-hmm. Looks pretty good. So, um, you know, got got to learn somehow. Yep. Yeah. Uh, I did also use it as a. There's a you know the river that runs through there, so that's just a, a water effect of making things look wet and giving it a little depth. Sure. That turned out great the first go around. So, good. yeah, I'm learning. I'm learning. Excellent. Pretty happy with it. Excellent. How, how about you? What'd you do? What did I do? Yeah. Uh, I haven't done jack sh- anything. No. Um. Well, what have I done? Well, somehow I ended up buying a new airbrush set, um, which I did a video review on. I hope you guys were able to see that and make sure you comment on that and let me know what you think. Um. I was actually okay. very surprised. I was gonna say I got a question, so I did see that. Uh huh. And now, did, did did you buy that because? because uh, you needed a new airbrush or the old ones going out or did, were you just curious? Cause you're like, I wonder if this is total crap and we'll find out together. Yes. Um, in all truthfulness, my, uh, airbrush compressor I had before the little Ninja jet thing that sits on my desk. It, it's kind of wearing out. It's eight, like eight years old. It's pretty beat up, you know, just it. And the problem with it is while it has an adjustment dial on, it, it has no gauges, no nothing. You don't know what PSI you're putting out. Um, it doesn't have a tank, so, and it's pretty loud and it sounds like it was, you know, getting ready to die. So, you know, and then thinking about, I know we had talked about it on the Saturday hobby live, um, you know, about getting, uh, one of these Amazon packages and wondering, is it any good? So, you know, just happened to be shopping for Christmas presents for people. And I, you know, of course, like those things pop up in my, uh, thing on Amazon. And I'm like, you know what, let's pull the trigger um, and see if it's even worth the 150 bucks. And I am actually pleasantly surprised. The, the, you know, in the video, looking back on the video, it doesn't sound as quiet as it does in real life in person because on the video, I think the microphone is picking up the whole compressor because it was pretty close. But when you compare the Ninja Jet to the, the one from Amazon, there's a huge world of difference as far as quality of sound or, you know, the loudness. Um, you know, and it's nice having that little three-liter tank, um, and the, the airbrushes seem to work okay. Uh, I'll be using them this weekend to paint a whole bunch of Zulus and stuff and finish up terrain. Um, but, yeah, I mean, for 150 bucks, I don't think you can go wrong on it, really. Um, you know, we'll see, though, after time. Only time will tell if it's still going to – if I'll still be saying that a few months out, you know, after using it for a while. But initial impressions, right. um, yeah, I thought it was worth it. So, you know, uh, for, you know, for $150, mm-hmm. you get like the full setup, you yeah. know, so I, I'm, you know, especially, you know, the, sure it's no super, you know, high end deal, but for your basic hobby is, yeah, that seems like a pretty good deal. It is. Uh, you know, and that's what I said in the videos is, you know, if you're looking for an airbrush to do some hobbying with, you know, you're not a airbrush artist or anything like that, you know. This this will do you fine. Um, so, yeah. So, uh, yeah, that video, and then I got the uh, 
starter set of war paints air um, from Army Painter. I have not opened them yet or used them. Um, I will do a video review on those here uh, shortly. And um, I got a, another 3D printer. Uh, had to get one <laughs> because we had a lot of guys to print. A lot. Okay, now drop the other shoe and tell them about this monstrosity that you got. It's not that. I mean, it's it's much bigger than my Photon uh, Frozen. So uh, this is the uh, Kitty, Cutie, uh, I don't know how you pronounce it, K, uh, Q-I-D-I, Kitty, Quitty, something like that, uh, iBox Mono. It's a 4K resolution uh, mono screen, supposedly. Uh, it has like an 8-inch build plate. So when I took the build plate from this new one and compared it to my Photon, the build plate on the new one's almost two and a half times bigger than what I currently have. So um, I, I showed a picture of one of the STL files I created uh, for some Zulus, and one set of Zulus, I can get 37. I think I did some adjustments. I get 37 uh, miniatures on the build plate, whereas before I was lucky if I got, what, 10-ish? So, um, yeah, well, we got 10 uh what you call it, uh, 10 of the British dudes on the little build plate. Uh, so the Zulus would probably be about the same, I would imagine. Yeah, so um, between that and then I did a second file of a different group of Zulus, which are the Riflemen, which I'm only going to print like two sets of, but I got 51 or 55, somewhere in the low 50s on one build plate. So... Um, and roughly, it'll take me about two and a half hours to print those. Damn. Right? And I have my first set of Zulus printing right now as we speak. Uh, I, I haven't had a chance to get the printer up and running until just before we started the show today. Um, but, yeah, we'll see how that turns out. So I should have everything printed this weekend. And, I, I you know, thankfully, um, things will be printed and painted by the next weekend so uh i have the the buildings built and painted and i did the thatched roofs uh, i meant to do a video on how to do thatched roof with the teddy bear and i just started getting putting my head to work and i totally forgot to video it so i might do a quick video explanation like a quick bite if you will on how to do teddy bear fur uh so you can do a thatched roof i thought it came out pretty good actually so those are done. Uh, a lot of the resin pieces are done, and it's just really a matter of figure painting and that kind of stuff, and then uh, putting the table together. So uh, we'll be and ready I've, to go. I've got the yeah, and I've got the uh, the Zulus that came with the the Warlord uh, Zulus that came with the set. Uh -huh. Those are all those are all built as well. I have not yet uh, faced or painted them. Uh huh. Um, you know, because we're still trying to figure out what bases we want to put them on, uh, and I'm plowing through uh, the Brits that I have first, and then I'm going to paint the, the Zulus. Yeah. So, and I, what, uh, there's like, what, 40 of those-ish? I can't remember what yeah, came Yeah, I in think the there's set. about 40 Zulus that you have, that you built, so. But they're, they're all, they're all built, to, and those, are, so the Warlord ones are kind of nice, because they come with, uh, with options. Yeah. You can, there's multiple heads, there's multiple weapons. So, you know, I've got a whole little bits box of leftover parts because I nice. saved all that stuff. 
Good. from the ones that uh, we made. So, you know, we can use them on something else in the future. Yeah, I mean, that's the nice thing about those, you know, versus the uh, one-piece print. Or a lot of the uh, Zulus that I'm printing are, t- like, two pieces. So, like, if they have a spear, you know, or a sai, I think is what it's called, uh, right. you know, that's separate, or the shield, or if they're a rifle, if they have a rifle, that's separate. Or I could have gone in and edited them like I did the Brits and made it one print, but you know what, for time and, and just ease of use, I just decided we're just going to prim this way and we'll – We'll build them as we go. You know, it'll take a couple seconds. So, yeah. Well, uh, I can tell you from experience, not painting them, but building them. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah. If you don't put the shields on, they're going to be a lot easier to print the body or to paint the body. Yeah. <laughs> because the shield on, on mine, the shield is built into the arm. Yeah. So either I had to build it in sub assemblies, or I just had to take the hit on painting it, and I I chose to build them all. Uh, well, for speed, then, I mean, this is more for we just need a large group of warriors on the table. So, I mean, it's a matter of just build them all, priming them all, washing them all, doing the little block colors. The most color on Zulu warriors is typically their shield. Right. And that's what my thought was, is that, you know, the majority of detail is going to be on the shield itself, exactly. not behind it. So exactly. let's go ahead and, and build these things. So if nothing else, I've got them built. Yeah. So. We just need to have that representative mass on the table. So, um, yeah, and then I still have, like, Bromhead and Shard to paint because they come in. They're they're actually metal figures. Um, I think Color Sergeant Bourne is a metal figure. There's several of their metal figures that I have to paint up, um, but I'll get through those pretty quickly. I mean, again, it's mostly red and blue and white with, you know, coloring, and that's pretty much it. Um so don't rem- don't forget to put the red stripe down their pants, Marty. Down each leg. About that. Yeah. <laughs> hey, I still got to paint all the stripes on the freaking uh, mealy bags. So, um, yeah. Don's not gonna do that. Well, Don's, <laughs> Don's got some things going on right now. So yeah. Well, and Don's all about the the assembly, and she's like, "Oh, I can paint the bags. They're all one color." And then you're like, "Oh, about that one color." <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, about that. Anyway, so uh, there's that. Um, yeah, I think that's pretty much what's been keeping me in, in busyness right now. And then uh, got some other things in the works as well that I'd like to talk about eventually. But uh, let's turn the mic over to Mr. Chris. What do you got going on? Well, uh, other than uh, packing and organizing some things, uh, I've been not only making bases off the laser engraver. Um, but I've also been, uh, doing some tiny soldering and working on the skills for that. Why are you doing tiny soldering? Or a project that Marty is working on. Oh, okay. Yeah. We're, uh, we're building a, uh, a book nook for Maria's birthday. Again, Hogwarts kid. So it's a Diagon Alley, uh, book nook, but, uh, uh, it's got miniature programmable led lights in it. Uh-huh. And Chris is, Chris is doing all, all of the, the lights and programming and all that stuff. So yeah, he's been, <laughs> he's, he's been working on that. He's been soldering those little strip led lights that you, you know, you cut out of the strip. Sure. He's been soldering those together. Okay. As long as I don't have to paint. As long as you don't have to paint, right? Yeah. 
no no surprise there. Yeah, re- yeah. Who's surprised hey, by that you one? Go with, <laughs> you go with what I'm good <laughs> at. I was going to say, lean into your strengths because I don't want to solder all that crap together. Uh-huh. And program the Arduinos and everything else. Yeah, exactly. That's, that's your wheelhouse. We'll let you do that. Excellent. Excellent. All right. Then there's this gentleman who does a lot of historical stuff who, when I told the team, hey, enjoy your holiday, take the time off, enjoy your family and all that stuff, what was the response I got from Mr. Big Jim Ariskany? The hell I will. Well, you said that the team was going on break and there was something else coming out when I'd already announced like two <laughs> other, three other pieces of content. Our pl- our ability to plan and keep a schedule remains on point as always. Woohoo! Uh, um, but yeah, there was a, a few things going on. We said we're going to do like the 30 second elevator pitch. Yeah. Uh, what we've done. All right. So uh, I killed Santa Claus. Um, I lost the American Revolution. I won the Battle of Illusia. Uh, Piotr invaded Russia again, and we're going to be fighting some zombies. So that, Is that was uh, yeah. There we go. That, that's what we did. Yeah, you can, um, you can talk a little bit more because um, you know, because obviously we didn't follow my own rule about talking about the elevator pitch version. But um, you know, starting with let's start. Let's do a big shout out to Piotr for his, um, you know, amazing work on those videos he's been doing. Uh, amazing work. And big shout-out to him. So, Yay! Yeah. So, you know, yeah. um, and he has a care package on his way. So um, he'll be getting a care package from um, our web store. Um, so, uh you should be getting that as soon as whatever. I tell you what, shipping right now is ridiculous. I sent a package from here to England and um, literally sent it right after Thanksgiving, and they just got it yesterday, day before. So anyway, so there's that. So, yes, he's got that coming. So he did amazing work. And then Jim did his traditional Battle of the North Pole, and I I was – how did Santa Claus get wiped out? Um, a T-55 shot him down. And I don't see the big, I don't see why that's a big question. <laughs> if you get hit with a 100 millimeter HE frag shell in, in the teeth, um, it's going to ruin your day. Yeah, but it's Santa Claus. So Yeah, Santa Claus, well, the North Pole was getting a whoop in there at the beginning. I'm like, th- Christmas is almost over before it even started? Yeah. It, uh, crazy, crazy stuff happens. Um, yeah, so that was our annual Christmas Carnage game. That was the seventh edition of that little tradition. Uh, we've been doing it now for eight Christmases. We did miss one Christmas in 2020. I guess everybody missed something in 2020. Uh, but we caught up again, and hopefully we'll be able to keep that tradition going again. Uh, we also did some uh, more build and um, army preparation videos um, uh, to gear up for the Battle of Trenton. So that's when uh, I was fortunate enough to win a golden button on OTT yeah, uh, for my uh, for my Trenton buildings. Um, they're all scaled in twenty millimeter. We have something like twenty five buildings total um, put together, depending on how you sort of you know mix and match and combine them together. Because um, again, those buildings are made to where you can you know I don't want to say glue them together, but can you know assemble them in different configurations on the table. It helps with storage. It helps with ease of construction. Um, that way you don't have to build terribly complex shapes. 
and uh, like straight out of cardboard, and you just build a bunch of rectangles and then kind of place them together on your table, and your your buildings look a lot more complicated than they really are. Um, yeah, it helps with you know replayability. Your buildings don't always look the same because you can like, rearrange some uh, uh, some you know different elements of your building. So that's why I don't have an exact count of how many buildings um, were prepared for that project because again, it depends on how you put them together. Then we have the actual 20 millimeter war game. That was a five hour game. 90 minutes was off screen uh, to do the approaches and the activation rolls. Uh, that would have been the boring part of the stream that uh, everyone would have switched off. So we waited until like the first time, okay, one of the Hessian regiments in Trenton were actually activated. They're coming out of their barracks. Some of them still in their long underwear. And Glover's Brigade is literally at the door. Muskets already leveled. Noxus Artillery is already putting the first cannonball into the barracks as they're literally trying to pull their pants on. Um, that's kind of how it went down. Um, and so that was uh, the next three and a half hours of the actual battle were actually on stream. So we did that one live. It was a solitaire game. Um, it's tough to do. Well, first of all, it's tough to do a miniature game on camera. Um, you know, against a live opponent, especially when there's no live opponents around. Right. Um, on top of all that, Trenton is, is a tough, it's a tough sell uh, for a live, you know, PVP game because one side is so, you, your job is to lay, literally lay there in bed and sleep until somebody kills you. And then, okay, half your guys are dead. All right, now you get up and you try to rally into formation. That gives me another fire face. Another half of your guys are dead. All right, now maybe after three quarters of your guys are shot, surrendered, run off, wounded, maybe you get a chance to shoot back and you're still not in formation. Your officers aren't with you and you're going to get a terrible role. And then I shoot at you again. Um, the trade-off is the Americans historically are not allowed to lose pretty much a single figure. Um, in that game, uh, the Americans wound up losing four figures in that game. So you're allowed to lose one and be okay to match historical. Um, it's a unit-based game. So you lose one, and you can still you know, say that you matched Washington's historical casualties, which were basically zero. If you lost two figures as the American player, you still won the game on a three-up. Um, if you lost three figures, you could win on a five-up at the end of the game, and once you lost four figures, you've lost automatically, um, even if you tabled the Hessians. So it was like 110 American figures versus 84 Hessian figures. Uh Gave the Hessians way too many figures. I wanted to make the game interesting. So the Hessians were overpowered. Um, The Hessians broke the rules blatantly at least twice with shaken regiments advancing towards the Americans. They're not supposed to be able to do that per battle battle system rules. And we still managed to table the 84 Hessians and lose only four American figures in the the, game. in the process. That's how asymmetrical and lopsided this game is. That's why it's kind of tough to, it it, it works well as a, as a solitaire game. You set up the Hessians and then you kind of put yourself in Washington's shoes and you say, can I do what Washington did? And the answer is almost always no. I played that game at least five, I played that battle at least 10, 15 times in at least five different systems. And, um, I've never actually won with the Americans. Hmm. Um, you always won the battle. You never won the game. Yeah. Uh, then we did a flyover video before we did the table down just to, uh, because the, uh, the webcam that I had showed like the whole table. We didn't get a lot, a lot of nice, like close up shots of the table. We had little wood piles, split rail fences, switchback fences, 
like I said, like 20, 25 different uh, buildings, two churches, a cemetery, um, you know, hay fields, uh, you name it, your, your typical American colonial uh, setting um, with snow, although not complete snow. Trenton was kind of a slushy battlefield, for lack of a better term. Mm-hmm. It had rained the previous night. It snowed overnight, and then it would turn into a sleet uh, that morning. So the ground was like this morass of nasty New Jersey filth. Um, that's pretty much the whole state. But sorry to our uh, New Jersey uh, audience, but um, I can say that because I was born and raised in New Jersey, so I, I get to say that. Well, your um, table looked really good, Jim. Yeah, it was amazing. Oh, cool. Thank you very much. Yeah. yeah, it's a full it's a full uh, thirty two square foot table. Um, uh, in 20 millimeter. So that's kind of the biggest scale. I, I'm, I'm even close to comfortable with is 20. Um, I tend to prefer 15 or 10 or even, well, you guys know me. I tend to, uh, to, um, to prefer smaller scales. Mm-hmm. Um, speaking of smaller <laughs> scales, we then, um, went on to, uh, the battle of Fallujah. So with all the Trenton stuff, I pretty much tormented our community all month, uh, with Trenton stuff. And I knew you guys were gearing up for Warwick's drift. So that's 18th century and 19th century. I'm like, you know what? We got to do at least some modern stuff, given the fact that we're the Sid Red Podcast channel. Um, so we did Fallujah, specifically Kilo Company 3-5 Marines uh, in the Jolon District in uh, northwestern Fallujah, um, early November 2004. So um, as I'm sure you guys know, Fallujah was um, the biggest and bloodiest, at least American battle in the Iraq War. Um, it was an absolute... I shouldn't say the second battle of Fallujah because there was more than one. Um, we happened to do a uh, the Army. I'm sorry, we happened to do the Marine Corps section because it's primarily a Marine battle. Mm-hmm. Uh, 7th uh, Cavalry Regiment was there um, and not like in a support role. They were like shoulder to shoulder. In fact, they were the ones that cut behind the enemy and sliced off Jolon from the rest of Fallujah and sort of acted as the, um, the anvil toward 3-5 uh, Marines Hammer. So they were like hip deep in it along with everybody else. Um, Classic cavalry. Yeah. Technically. Yeah. Uh, The British were also there. I mean, they weren't in our game and neither was the army to be fair because, you know, Valor and Victory is a pretty small game. You put a full company on a Valor and Victory table, you've got a pretty big game. And we had like under strength, like I said, Kilo 3-5, plus a whole best of insurgents. Uh, I did actually win that game for the Marines. I was playing against Dylan, although barely. I won by like six points. I think our score was like 72 to 66 or something like that because um, Fallujah is nothing to mess with. Uh, walked right into an IED, uh, took some fire coming on the board. My artillery just completely whiffed. 11th Marines, what the hell are you doing with your artillery, man? Those 155s were all over the place except where I wanted them. Um, no civilian casualties this time, thank God. And uh, some of the uh, some of the um, the Sunni insurgents did survive, so it, it was a messy game. But it, it, we did technically walk away with a win on that one. Hmm. Um, I was going to mention uh, Piotr and his uh, drive on Lvov, um, but you've already talked about that, Bill. Uh, yeah, he's done two episodes so far. He's doing uh, part of the German drive into southern. Well, I'll say the southern Soviet Union today would be the Ukraine, um, driving towards Lvov out of uh, occupied Poland. He's got uh, two games already up that you guys can check out um, on our uh, on our YouTube channel, and um, I already have his third game, and um, I've done the post production on that. 
Nice. So he records the game, and then I, you know, put a little bit of branding on there, maybe a little bit of music, and I, I try to, you know, I, I get it up to our usual standard, and then we go ahead and post it from there. Um, so we've got a third piece that's kind of done. Uh, I'm not sure exactly when that's going to go up. Pretty much whenever you know we needed to. And um, fourth and fifth, I think, are already played, and that's going to wrap up the series. Very so nice. that's Germans going into Russia in June of 1941. Um, and then tomorrow, yeah, we're doing some sit rep skirmish again. Woo-hoo! And just because I'm on this uh, this weird post apocalyptic kick, <laughs> um, uh, well, uh, Twilight two, uh, Twilight two thousand fourth edition is coming out. Yeah, yeah, or has come out. Yep. Uh, so I'm learning those rules. I've come up with a virtual character sheet nice. for online play in case anyone's interested. And um, again, along that same vein, what we're doing tomorrow is some. Uh, I kind of put it to the community. I was like, I'm going to do sit rip skirmish post apocalypse. Does anybody want to do twilight 2000 or do you want to do walking dead? And the votes kind of came back as walking dead. So we're doing some, some zombie killing tomorrow. Um, along with, uh, you know, the far more dangerous threat, which is the, you know, the other living humans that still have guns and, right. uh, are willing to, you know, fight to protect what they have or take what's yours. Exactly. So, Tomorrow should be uh, kind of fun. That's going to be a multiplayer game. Mm-hmm. We've got at least two, possibly three other players lined up for that, as well as myself. So it's going to be uh, it's going to be pretty intense. Nice. Uh, in fact, I know what I'm doing all day today. In fact, was getting that game put together and, and, and ready to go. Uh, and yeah, that's about it for uh, that's you know, awesome. outpost of down here in the south. That is awesome. Well, that's a lot of stuff. Let's just put it that way. There's a lot of stuff. I am very excited by everything that's going on. So, yeah, uh, just a quick plug again. Um, January 22nd at 2 p.m., uh, we will kick off our uh, Defense of Rourke's Drift. Um, it'll be exciting. Um, again, anybody who might be in the area that uh, day, if you're interested um, in joining us, uh, reach out to us at sitrut.podcast at gmail.com, and, uh, you know, we'll see what we can do. Otherwise, we'll be – I don't – this is one of those things I wanted to talk to people about and get input because it's going to take several hours to play that game. Do we broadcast it or do we do, like, live updates throughout the day and then put together an edited video with, you know, over um, commentary and whatever? I don't know. What do you guys think? Because, I mean, I just don't want – People, you know, because it'll just be video running, and there'll be a lot of downtime, and you know, and, and it's and dead air. You know, I'm thinking I mean? turn, like turn by turn update. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, like a like a summary of each, each turn. Yeah, that's a good idea. Yeah, that's probably the, probably the best way to go. I agree. Yeah, because like you said, other, otherwise, you know, there's three or four hours of staring at the table while we scratch our heads and you know, try right. and figure out our next move and you know all that good stuff. Exactly. Exactly. I agree. Sounds like a plan. Well, it's up to you guys. I mean, Trenton ran a five-hour game, was reduced to about three hours because, A, we kind of knew the rules. Two, we kind of knew the moves we wanted to make. And three, we did, like, the approach and activation rules off camera ahead of time. And what I did was I built a slideshow that briefly kind of went over and said, all right, guys, this is what's happened so far. We kind of condensed the first 90 minutes of the game down to like, 
10 minutes of narration. Uh-huh. And then, okay, now the first musket ball is officially down range. Okay, no more, you know, slides. Here's the webcam. Here's my dice box. And now we're going to go ahead and, and, uh, and uh, take a shot. So I guess kind of a hybrid model, I guess to the two options you were just uh, describing. Um, I don't know. Uh, I think people, uh, people were engaged the whole way through our game or through my game. Um, but again, we did kind of do the first third of the game off camera. That sure. was, you know, how quiet can we be as we creep toward the Hessians? Do the Hessians wake up? No. Okay. Watch the risk move another 108 miniatures. That's going to take another 20 minutes. Um, you know, measuring and moving, measuring and moving, measuring and moving. Do the Hessians wake up? No. Okay. Another, you know, that part would have been excruciatingly boring. Um, but once we got to the actual shooting part, like, okay, here's the historical background. Here's the first, you know, two and a half turns of the game. We're now halfway through turn three. Hessians are moving. It's the American opportunity fire phase. The game officially starts now. Two seconds later, the first dice hit the tray. Um, people like seeing the dice hit the tray. Uh, they like to, to feel like they're actually at a table. They like that suspense and that drama uh-huh. of, you know, seeing what the dice are going to do. You're going to lose that with the turn-by-turn update unless, like, you only do like the shooting phases. I'm not sure what system you're using, but maybe some, maybe something like that, but I don't know. That, that's just me. Yeah, no, it's a good point. Um, again, I haven't decided which rule side I, I'm, I'm struggling on which one will be. I don't know. Um, yeah, that, that I have to make that decision this week, but obviously, um, I just I just want it to be engaging for people, and you know I don't want people to go oh they're just standing around looking at a rule or whatever you know, um so oh, yeah you've got to have the rules locked down you yeah. can't be looking at rules in the middle of the system yeah so. I mean once in a while is okay but yeah you've got to have the rules kind of locked down yeah so you know we want to make sure that we get that down for everybody um, so yeah we'll we'll get there. We will uh, get there. So, um, yeah. So, anyway, uh, we'll work on that, and uh, we'll get that going. And, you know, just stay tuned. As we get closer, we'll make more announcements. Um, so, on to other things. Um, I also uh, would like to do another review. Uh, this time, uh, I'm going to do a video review of um, Black Powder Red Earth. Uh, the the rule set. Um, I don't. I don't think I'm going to pull the trigger on that whole starter set. I have the rule book. It's nice, um, but I think I'll just play with the miniatures I have. You know, I think it has like counters or templates that you have to have. Um, but um, I think that like the starter set's two hundred dollars. As somebody was saying, uh, yeah, two hundred bucks for the full kit. And if you've already got the book, you can buy the. Uh, you can buy everything else for one seventy five. Yeah, so but it's it's a little it's a little pricey. Yeah, so I mean, I mean, you know, looking at it, it's like the the miniatures are nice, but I have a ton of modern miniatures, you know. Um, yeah, I and to be honest with are... you, I, I I don't know what the difference between these and the. Uh, and the um, what am I trying to say? The um, Specter miniatures. Remember, Specter put out a set of Black Powder Red Earth. Uh, so it's a uh, it's a different team in yeah. the uh, Black Powder Red Earth uh, world, if you will. 
you know, so, uh, cause those were, uh, fire team Ember that specter did. Uh-huh. And this is their scorch team. So it's a different group of, of dudes, you know, for, you know, for what it's worth. Yeah. So, uh, I think they're really good looking miniatures. I think the folks that are already, that are already reading the graphic novels, uh-huh. uh, and our gamers are probably really excited and, and into it. Uh, you know, other than that, you know, if you're looking at it from, I just want to play a game. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. If you've got modern miniatures, you can play the game. You don't, you don't need theirs. But, uh, as you said, there are some other pieces, parts that you're going to want. I think all of that is in the rule book. It is. You can get but it. But then you have to create your own. Which is fine. I mean, you know, like I'm looking yeah. at it, you need a six inch template. Oh, okay. Hey, I know somebody with a laser cutter. He can cut me a six inch template. Yeah. If only we knew someone that could cut a right? piece of six inch acrylic. <laughs> <laughs> mm. How thick? Uh, I don't know. It doesn't that, matter. I can do it. That's what she said. Uh, one one sixteenth <laughs> inch clear Lexan. Yeah. Oh yeah. Easy. 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 Piece of cheesy. Anyway, so that uh, be on the lookout. Um, I might convince my uh, dear friend, one of the original members of the podcast, um, Chris Long, to join us on that one. Um, I don't know. Uh, you know, we might get a couple of guys together and we'll do a quick view of the rule book. The rule book's gorgeous, and um, just a quick, you know, a couple turns of how this game plays. I guess is the best way to. So people can kind of get a taste of it. Um, you know, I don't, it will it be my game of choice. I don't know. There's so many games out there, you know? Um, right. So we'll see. We'll see. So that's, that's one thing. Um, and then, you know, once we get through, uh, Rourke's drift, then it's time to go on to the next project and, you know, what we're going to do, you know, and kind of pick that idea and, you know, take a few months to put it all together. I, I like having this project with a with a goal date. You know, but not hey, we got to do it now. You know, we've got a few months to build up to it. Um, it doesn't feel as hectic, if you will. I mean, obviously, it will feel pretty right. hectic as we get closer to it, just to make sure everything's in place. But the big part's already together. It's just you know finalizing some stuff. But um, so anybody out there, if you have ideas or what you'd like to see on our next project. Um, I'm all ears. Um, you know, I don't know if we have Jim, do we have any big anniversaries coming up for battles here in the next few months? Um, we, 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 we're never, we, we never don't. That's for sure. Yeah. Well, what, what month are we, what month are we asking about? Well, if we do this um, in January, so I think, you know, yeah. February, March, just a, I'd say just depends on how far back in history you want to go. You know, we, yeah. so we finished this project in January. And, the and next, how big the project is. Right. And the next project I'd say, you know, would be April, May, somewhere around there, depending on the size of it. Right. So, you know, if we take a few months right. to put it together and get the parts and design, you know, what we're going to do. So. Um, yeah, I mean, let's see, February, I mean, you've got most of the Tet Offensive. I mean, Tet Offensive technically starts 30 January, but a lot of the fighting took place in February. So if you want to do moderns, you've got, um, you know, certainly, um, um, Tet Offensive in Vietnam. Uh-huh. Uh, it, it, yeah, it, it just, uh, or if you go to World War II, you've got Tchaikovsky Pocket, although it's not exactly the 80th anniversary. Um, if you want to stay to the 80th anniversary, February of 42, that's going to be all the last battles at uh, Corregidor and Bataan. 
Um, those might be a little depressing, but uh, they are battles nonetheless. Uh, yeah, there's there's no there's no end of it. Um, Tricasio Pocket is always fun, but that's Eastern Front, and that's not everybody's cup of tea. Uh-huh. Um, that's a, a big snowy German kind of a breakout battle. They got surrounded along the banks of the uh, Eastern Dnieper River or Napa River, if I'm saying that right, and uh, managed to break it. You got tigers in the snow, tigers in the mud. Um, it's one of the few times you actually get to see tigers in combat, despite the fact that everyone wants to put tigers on their goddamn table. <laughs> stop doing that. Um, this is one of the few times you can honestly do that correctly. Um, and he actually Tell us how you really feel, Jim. Kicked a lot of ass. <laughs> uh, uh, what else? Yeah, don't, don't um, yeah, there, there's no, there's no, there's no end to it. I mean, March. I mean, forget about it. Yeah, it's, it's almost like too big of a question. Um, there's always something we can do as far as a um, an anniversary themed uh, kind of a battle. And th- these are the these are the uh, the uh, splendor months. Yeah. Uh, you know, January, February, March. Once you get to June, forget about it. It's like pick something. You know, if you can. Everything happens in June. <laughs> right. We've already talked about why. So maybe what we should do is like uh, make up a list of, I don't know, uh, 20 battles and then just roll a D20 and see what we get. There you go. Oh, there you go. Um, I do like the idea. This is kind of down the road a little bit. I do like the idea of uh, midway for uh, June. Um, so that we can, uh, number one, I've done it before. Number two, I've got some of the uh, stuff for prepared. And, um, again, it's always good to do, like, oh, this is the 917th anniversary of some battle nobody's ever fucking heard of or whatever, <laughs> you know. Um, it's cool to hit things, like, on the decades. Yeah. This is the 50th. This is the 80th. This is the 100th. So, um, yeah, February, uh, February, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm back on the other conversation. Yeah, June of 42. Uh, before that, you've got Coral Sea in May of 42. April of 42 is to do a little raid. Uh, yeah, the Pacific is just now kind of gearing up. Um, Russia's kind of stalled right now in 42. Do a little uh, raid. Mm. Yeah. That could uh, be interesting. I'm not 100% sure how great of a war game that would be, but I don't know. Maybe. That, yeah, that's more like a – that would yeah. be uh, – when you say that, what comes to mind for me as far as gaming that would be a tower defense type game. You know what I mean? Because you're, you're, yeah. you know, yeah. you're going into Japan with B-25s, and literally it's the you know tower defense scenario of the you know mainland Japan defending against. Do they get detected? Do they get shot down? You know the whole that type of thing. So it's almost like a tower defense. Whereas the battle midway, yeah, no, we could do. Don't even get me started on that. Uh, the battle midway that that really just checks all the boxes for me. Do we do it in that, what is that, the 1 in 24,000 scale? Whatever is that scale? Yeah, you have, you have to do it on two tables. Yeah. I mean, go back to on tabletop. I've literally published on this before with other naval warfare experts. You have to do it in, in, in on, on, on two tables. There is no scale that would work. Yeah. Period. Yeah. All right. I don't care how small your ships are. You have to do it on because the range of the weapons, air uh-huh. quotes, is, is 180 miles. 200 miles because that whole that whole battle is fall with aircraft when was that june of 44 technically second through sixth but really mostly on june 4th of 42 all right i think we have our uh next project woohoo nice 
So now we got to find ships, or we got to print them. One of the two. Don't you uh, have? Uh, don't you have a whole victory at sea? Yeah, but they're not that scale. They're bigger. Oh, uh, I think they're. They don't also send you. Yeah. They, don't, they also don't send you the right ships. Yeah. So I think those are what one eighteen hundred scale or whatever that is. That sounds right. Yeah. Well, that's what I have. There's nothing wrong with that. But the the point is, you you don't have. Uh, it depends on how much you want to do it in miniatures because you're going to need hundreds of ships. And uh, depending on what actual units get into play, and you're going to need um, the right ones. And, and nobody nobody really makes those sets. And the problem and is... The planes? There's mark, markers for the planes? Yeah. Planes, or I've seen people use like three planes or four planes on a stand, like, like little squadron right. units or whatever. I mean, yeah. it's, it's still a 3D sort of a miniature, but yeah, you're going to need a buttload of planes. Nice. Several hundred of those. Okay. Use like tiny planes, like uh, you know, attached to a pinhead. Kind of, yeah. So well, if we're going to go this, old school on this, hold on a second. If we're going to go old school on this, can we have the old uh, mic hanging off of us and with the croupier stick, you know, pushing the, the nice. things around? Oh, oh. <laughs> you have to. I mean, yeah, you're, yeah guys, like I don't, you're I don't in the thing. Like, belabor yeah. the point. I've literally done this already. It's, it's. Uh, we did it for the 75th anniversary back in 2017. Um, I worked with a guy who come, who uh, created naval war rules. Right. Uh, anyway, it's yeah. You you have two maps, and you have the like the admiral's table, and yep. it's literally like you know a thousand miles on a side because that's the scale you have to freaking play at. And each turn is 12 hours and okay. The enemy has units. You don't know where they are depending on it's a solitaire game or if it's a head to head game, just different ways you can handle, you know, hidden units. And cause that's, that's the main point of the game. Who cares about the bombs? Who cares about the big pew pew and the big explosions? Fuck all that. It's about finding the enemy, managing your resources or arranging your searches, handling your fuel and stuff like that. It's a carrier battle. It's not a big gun battle. It's not Star Wars in the water. Sorry. Um, it's a little more cerebral than that. So, yeah, you have to have that Admiral stable. And, you know, it can be big enough where you do need those little wooden sticks to push your units around. Um, I use, like, a 5 by 5 table with each piece being a, a fleet of, like, anywhere from 20 to 100 ships. And, uh, yeah, good luck with that. I mean, it's... Is finding the enemy. Now, once you find the enemy, and God willing, you launch an airstrike on time, and it's got the right planes. And if you don't think that's hard, read about what actually happened. It's it's a miracle we won that battle. It's a miracle we even survived. And the Japanese had big problems as well. They just luck wasn't on their side. But eventually, you get to the point where this is where you you might need miniatures. Okay, X squadron, Y carrier, you know, with some other planes attached or whatever, they finally managed to find, you know, a certain Japanese group of ships. You set up those ships in whatever formation they are, and then you pick out what vector the Americans are coming in at, or vice versa, and you actually do the airstrike that uh-huh. way. But the two ships will never, you'll never have the, you'll never have ships of the two sides on the same table. Forget it. It's not going to happen. Ever. That, that day is gone. It was gone a hundred years ago. You're, you're never going to have two ships of the opposite sides shooting at each other. It's, it's just not how it works. Mm. But you guys already know all that. So, so interesting. The U.S. had three carriers, seven cru- heavy cruisers, one light cruiser, 15 destroyers, 233 carrier-based aircraft, 127 land-based aircraft, and 16 submarines. 
And the Japanese force had four fleet carriers, two battleships, two heavy cruisers, one light cruiser, 12 destroyers, 248 carrier-based aircraft, 16 float planes, and 13 submarines. Which is funny because I don't remember submarines ever being in the Midway movie. And I'm not talking no. the new. I'm not talking the new one. I'm talking the old one. No, no. I'm just saying those submarines didn't play a really big. And first, they say two battleships. In the uh huh, two battleships on the Japanese side. Uh, you know, bump that number up a little bit. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if I 100 percent agree with that, but uh, yeah, submarines don't really. Don't really get into it. The Americans had a different idea about how submarines should be used. They weren't technically naval warships. Uh, the, the, the Americans had an idea how to use submarines, much more like the Germans did um, over the Atlantic, as more much more of merchant raiders. Japanese submarines did get into it a little bit. Japanese much had a much more old-fashioned idea, almost mm-hmm. like the British, that submarines should be with the fleet and actually targeting enemy warships. Um, and there, a, a Japanese submarine is technically what finished off USS Yorktown. So a Japanese submarine did get into it at the very, very end. Right. One. Yeah. Um, so it, it's not outside their own possibility. I just don't see them being a very uh, large factor. Well, that's true based off of what you said earlier, because if they stay with the fleet, the fleets never saw each other. Right. So that's why they weren't really a big factor. Um, I'm curious about that two battleships number, though. Well, I'm looking at a different one. I'm looking at a military, actual military reference. Um, They say seven battleships to the Japanese side. Yeah, and and not to crap on the first source. I don't even know what the first source was. But when it comes to Midway, how many ships are involved? Every time you look it up, you're going to get different numbers. How can it be this weird? It's what you include. Um, Because the Japanese were especially on the Japanese side, because the Japanese were all over the place. Their battle plan literally inva- involved an invasion of Alaska as a route to get it to Hawaii. Yeah. I mean, you guys know how the Pacific is laid out. They invaded two islands in the uh, Lucians to draw off American force. If you count all that stuff in there, and if you count the other big Japanese invasion force plus Yamamoto's main force, which never got into the battle, that's where you're going to see Yamato, Nagato, Musashi, not Musashi, um, Mustu, you're going to see the main Japanese battle line. Um, I don't know if you'd ever count them because they never got into the fight. They never really had a chance to get into the fight, but they would look impressive on the table. Right. <laughs> a nice little parade. Um, but that's about all you're going to get out of them because they never he came close to getting within gunnery range of anything American. And the Americans, by turn, never really got close enough to launch an airstrike at him. And even if they could have, I don't know if they would have wanted to, because holy shit, man, that's that's not a target you attack lightly, no. especially at those ranges. But the Americans now, were, were, were splashing planes, just hitting the Japanese carriers, and the carriers were three times closer. Yeah. This is easily done. We can do it. Yeah. All right, warm up those printers, Woo-hoo! and while you're at it, make another whole set because I want them. All right. Yeah, I mean, all respect to your to your Zulus and your British and all that <laughs> stuff. Uh, if you guys start making uh, Japanese and American warships uh-huh. and any kind of quality, I'm going to want a copy. <laughs> I'll send you whatever money you want to charge, but I want a full set. I'm talking about, like, 200 ships. All right. I mean, it, it seems said pretty whatever doable, quality. Though. I mean, there's a bunch of popsicle sticks with just drawings on them, right? 
Yeah, sure. That works. <laughs> I, I think we could do this. You see my scratch belt stuff. I, I, could, I could do that. I could do better than that. Chris, a laser cut top down views uh, for you. Yeah. No, I said in, 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 in some kind of quality, you ask me, I'll send you whatever money you want to you actually charge me. But it's going to have to be pretty good stuff at 1 to 1,800. And 1 to 1,800, a battleship is what, like four inches? The carrier might be five. Something maybe like that, less, maybe. Three, three, three inches and four inches, something like that. Good enough for a build plate. Yeah. Uh, what scale do you want those in? One, Me personally, eighteen hundred. Uh, that's that's a, that's one of the standard, or one to two thousand. Those are like the standard uh, uh, scales. All there's right. eighteen hundred. There's three thousand. There's six thousand. Now the three scales that modern naval war player war game players usually usually work with. All right, I just sent you a picture there on on the chat. See if those look good for you. All right, let me open it up. Do, 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 do. Otherwise, there are other ones. There's many, many ones. Yeah, because uh, that's just about perfect. Um, and you can see what I'm talking about. Notice all six of those Japanese carriers look wildly different. Yes, they do. I was looking uh, at some artwork on those, and yeah, they totally look different. There's technically three pair. Akagi Kaga, that's Red Castle, and uh, Increased Joy, that's one set. And there's Hiryu Siryu, Green Dragon, Flying Dragon, and Shokaku Zuakaku, um, Auspicious Crane, and Soaring Crane. I think I got those last two mixed up. Shokaku is Soaring Crane, Zuakaku is Auspicious Crane. Those are the six Japanese carriers that make up the uh, Kiri Butai. Those are the guys that hit Pearl Harbor. Uh, the last two, Shokaku, Zuakaku, got the hell kicked out of them at the Battle of Coral Sea. They survived, um, but their air groups were pretty badly shattered. So they were actually, that was a month before. That's why Australia is not speaking Japanese right now. And uh, that is what pretty much put those two carriers on the sideline for the main show, which was Midway, about a month later. Uh-huh. So that's why, they only have, that's why they only have four. The Japanese carrier force was six. Two of them were temporarily sidelined, and those two could have made all the difference. And thus, the Americans were outnumbered three to four instead of three to six. Yeah. So those look okay. I mean, I can yeah, find those others. Are, those look awesome. Yeah, I, I, I can I can tell you what some of the ships are just by looking at. Them. I'm looking at uh, Yamato. I'm looking at the uh, Nakato class battleships. Um, over the on the other side, I see the American. Uh, those look like Yorktown class carriers, so it's going to be Enterprise Yorktown and Hornet. So the all three the of the American carriers, you're right. The the uh, American carriers were all looked similar then versus what? Yeah. The, okay. Yeah, they're all the same class. Okay. And even those that were in the Japanese same class, they looked wildly different. Like yeah. for some reason, I think it was Akagi had her island on the port side, which makes less than no sense. Uh-huh. Think about a carrier with the friggin conning tower on the wrong side of the ship. I mean, <laughs> uh, here you and, and Akagi, I think, were the two that had it. So, yeah, it's, 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 it's weird. They're fun to paint, though, because the carrier decks had very different markings on them. Yeah. And that was to help the pilots make sure they were landing on the right plane or landing their plane on the right ship. Oh. You know, it's like, oh, yeah. wait, that one's got red and white stripes. That's not my carrier. <laughs> they, they peel off and they go they try somewhere else. Nice. Yeah, but some of those red and white stripes make for good aiming points for the American bombers. Oh, yeah. 
Some of them still have the huge white band along the bow with the uh, the big red Japanese like rising sun, like literally a red dot on a white field. Yeah, like a hundred feet wide. It's yeah, like yeah. you know, please hit me right here. <laughs> yeah. oh, okay, drop, drop bomb here. <laughs> yeah. All right. That's exactly what happened, man. You read about those five miracle minutes at Midway, and you almost feel sorry for those people. Yeah. I mean, you're talking about top gun, elite pilots. They were getting ready for a strike. There's like 60 planes on the back of the Kagi's, of the Kagi's deck, or the Akagi's deck. And these are guys that have been flying since like 1937 in China. And then one bomb lands in the middle of them in like 10 seconds, incinerated a thousand years worth of flight experience. And in one puff of smoke, I mean, they, they died all instantly. One huge chain reaction of explosions. And we won't get into it because we're going to talk about it during the current months, like why the Japanese carriers were so vulnerable, why those bombs were left over the flight deck, why the fuel was still in the lines. It's, it was just dropping a bomb on a 30,000-ton fuel can yeah. and just watching it go up. It's, it's pretty freaking horrific when you actually read about the details. But And we rolled a natural D20. Oh, it's several 20s in a row. Yeah. <laughs> Not just on the hits. It was on the hits and what planes showed up when. And this is in despite of some just, we often talk about officers screwing things up. Holy shit, man. How the strike even even found the Japanese despite a laundry list of catastrophic errors. How some people didn't get court-martialed over that victory is, is beyond me, but it's, it's bad. Yeah. Sometimes it's better to be lucky than good. Yeah. The good news is the Japanese were making just as silly mistakes. They just didn't get away with it. Ooh. Well, what are you going to do, right? So. So, Bill, well, where did you find these ships? Um, on some 3D printing site. Yeah, those look those look really good. Um, the big battleship next to the biggest Japanese carrier, that's clearly Yamato. You, heard, you see her three 18-inch batteries. Uh-huh. Her two six-inch batteries on top of our short, or I shouldn't say batteries, I should say turrets. Uh, that really weird, jagged-looking stern is absolutely correct. That's where you have uh, some of the anti-aircraft uh, mounts and also the uh, the seaplane uh, mounts. The smaller double-gunned uh, turrets on the ships to the side, those are going to be uh, Nagato, Mustu, um, Fuzo. You see they saw the old World War One sort of a flared bow there at the bottom. Okay. I'm looking at seaplane tenders. Heavy cruisers. Wow, there's a really old battleship over to the far left. Or I'm sorry, far right. Um, I'm not sure which one that is. That's a, that's an old girl right there. That might be uh, that might be Nagato there. I may have misspoke earlier. Well, um, I just bought of course them, you have so. all the American stuff. Northampton class heavy cruisers. Uh, of course, the planes are not to scale. Obviously, that's not going to even come close to working. But because right. um, at that scale, planes would be barely visible. But yeah, those actually look really good. What scale is that? Uh, you, they're uh, designed for one to one eighteen hundred or one to nine hundred yeah. scale. You can scale. Okay, so it's a. It, I see what you're saying. All right, so it's a. It's a three D print that you can either do one or the other. Yep, and I just purchased it, so I have them, so we can start printing. Yeah, the, the one to nine hundred is too big. They would look great on the shelf. You would never get to play with them. Yeah, they would look amazing on the shelf. That Yamato would be about. Seven inches, eight inches long at least. Hmm. All right. And we'll so. go ahead and skip all the jokes. Um, but you guys know what I'm talking <laughs> That's about. What you uh, said. <laughs> 
it looks really pretty at seven inches. Yeah, you never get to use them. Awesome. Um, yeah, one to 1800 would be great. All right. Well, we got the, we've got our next project. Battle of Midway. Excellent. Yeah, I just don't want to get anyone's expectations up as far as like a big climactic, you know, showdown on the high seas. That's not how it went. It's like handling a bus schedule. And he who handles the, the subway schedule better is going to win. Yeah. You know, what's in the air? Where's it heading? What's its vector? Can you find anything? It's out of fuel. It's bingo fuel. It's on its way back. Okay, it's going to take you 20 minutes to launch your next strike or your next search. Shit. That uh, that other group is going to be back in 15 minutes, and they are bingo fuel. Do you land them now and wait, or do you launch your new strike and then hope for the best? You're going to lose some planes either way. And God save you if you're in the middle of these steps when a Japanese strike shows up. That's exactly what happened to the Japanese in reverse. They were in the middle of like three different things. Yeah. Recovering a strike from Midway, launching a strike against American carriers, and recovering their combat air patrol um, all at the same time. And he was like, oh, Yuma was like, all right, I can only, my carriers can only do one thing at a time, damn it. And he was like trying to do all the stuff at once. And that's why the fuel lines were open and the ordinance was scattered all over the hangar back. And then you drop a couple of American thousand pounders in there. And that was it. That's all she wrote. Awesome. And uh, Marty, you have to build an island. Yeah. That's true. Two islands. You have yeah. to build two islands. Sand Island and East Island. Midway. I told us two islands. There you go. I think that's uh, doable. Although that might actually fit into one of our news items. Oh, uh, news. I forgot. We have news. Do we have news? We have news. Nice. Go ahead. Is it uh, new news? It is new news. Is it good news? Otherwise, it would be called the old because it would be old instead of new. Is it good, 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 good news? So, yeah, I got a, I got a few items that, right. that I'd like to take off for you. So, first one, kind of near and dear to our heart, is the Kickstarter update uh, from uh, Tim Spikowski yes. regarding Savage Frontier. What about it? So, uh, so uh, he has started shipping it. He did. So, so yeah. that's that's why I opened that box last night and saw the miniatures. Oh. Dude, you got yours? <laughs> yep. Damn you. Ah. Oh. Ah. Oh. <laughs> Damn, buddy. Come on. Well, I guess what? it's new, new news if he already has it. <laughs> so, so there, there was a, there was a setback. Uh, you know, as, as you know, Tim was uh, developing his own set of rules for this game. And uh, he expected to uh, send out uh, the alpha uh, copy of uh Savage Frontier uh, rules and yeah. has elected to not do that. He's not satisfied with the rules. And, you know, he, uh, in his update, he's like, you know, I'm, I'm really sorry. I know that, uh, you know, this is not what, not exactly what everybody wanted, but I don't want to publish a set of rules that don't work and will just frustrate the community. Uh-huh. So in lieu of that, he contacted his friend, Jay Wiley of Wiley games and, uh, Jay, uh, has uh, uh, decided that he will, you know, has has supported him by offering the backers a printed rule, a uh, printed set of the rules for uh, Horse and Musket Second Edition, uh-huh. uh, and additionally uh, a PDF copy of Red Hatchet and Black Powder. So you get a couple of rule sets, not the one that 
we initially thought. But you do get a couple of, of rule sets out of the out of the deal. Uh, backers had the option to uh, decline that and say nope, and he would uh, he was going to refund a portion of their uh, of their money for that. But uh, I'm you know I I don't own either of those, so you know I'm down. I'll I'll take those. I have those to the collection. Uh, and then uh, a poster on the uh, uh, on the update said, you know, another food for thought for you would be uh, Firelock Games uh, Fire on the Frontier rule set, which is currently available for pre-order, but covers the same time period. Mm-hmm. So, and speaking of Firelock Games, uh, they're still tracking a March ship date after the Chinese New Year. Um, they've got their molds for the sloops done and published some photos of that. Those look really good. You know, they showed off the mold itself and then, uh, a test run. So it looks, uh, uh, the, uh, uh, sloop sprue looks really crispy and detailed. I'm pretty excited because, uh, I backed that one. <laughs> so I'm, I'm looking forward to, to getting that in a few months. There you go. Uh, to tie into what we were just talking about, uh, foreground. Uh, has uh, created uh, Archipelago Islands, and you get four pre-painted resin islands, which are, are literally their ideal. They're designed for naval wargaming. Yep. Uh, they they come in four different sizes. Uh, it's pre-painted, and uh, you know, it's, uh, a nice quick option for playing games like uh, Oak and Iron or Victory at Sea, something like that. Uh, so there's a a little. Uh, way to beef up uh, and uh, flesh out uh, your uh, naval wargaming boards. Those are available uh, on their webpage at Foreground. Uh, Empress Miniatures uh, had a new release for the new year. Uh, it is their uh, uh, Bauer 31 Milan missile team. So uh, it's two versions of the Milan anti-tank missile. Uh, the Milan 1 uh single main shape charge head in 103 millimeter and Milan two single main shape charge warhead with a standoff probe, uh, and the, uh, the mirror site. So that's been added to their, uh, uh, British army of the Rhine, uh, range of miniatures. Uh, I subscribed to Wargame Atlantic's, uh, new newsletter. And something I saw there is that, uh, they are going to release uh, a Panzer Lear division and infantry, uh, World War II infantry, uh, Italian infantry, uh, this month sometime. So uh, if that's your jam, uh, look uh, look for those. And uh, they have a they have a very unique uh, web page. So I was looking at their web page, and they're very transparent about what they're doing. So you can look at uh, their release schedule. And it'll say, okay, this is what's shipping out. This is what's restocking. And then this is what we have in the mix. And we're cooking up right now mm-hmm. uh, for future releases and where it's at in the production process. And one of the things I noticed is that they hit, it says uh, first modern set. And it's, uh, you know, it's still in pre-production. So there's, I, and I proved, you know, I was checking around to see what that meant. I couldn't find anything, so that'll be interesting to see if that's like an actual modern thing, or if that means something else, and I just don't get it. So, I'm looking forward to to seeing what that actually is. But that was in like final sculpting or something like that. It was pretty far along in the process. So, 
Sure. I imagine we'll see something about that shortly. And then my final bit that, uh, that I wanted to, to share was, uh, Adepticon. Yep. Adeptic registration opens up this Tuesday, January 11th, uh, 7 PM central time. So if you are interested in attending, uh, Adepticon, you know, uh, get ready to, to log in here in, in a few days. Uh, they just announced uh, the COVID protocols uh, for the event, uh, you know, and the you know, snapshot in time, things could change. But as of today, in accordance with the County of Cook and the state of Illinois, uh, that includes you have to wear a mask and you have to show proof of vaccination uh, to attend. Uh, yeah. Details are on their webpage. It's got the whole, the whole spiel on there. Uh, you know, so if you don't like, uh, you don't like those rules, it's not their fault. Don't go off on them. It's, you know, uh, but, uh, you can check those out. Additionally, they've been uh, pretty busy adding, uh, local hotels to the list of, uh, uh, places that have, uh, rooms available. So if you are still trying to book a room because you're traveling, uh, from out of town and want to stay close, uh, I don't know that there's any rooms available at the host hotels, but there are some that are really close by, um, that, uh, are, have been added to a list and there's like seven or eight of them. They keep, you know, every couple of days they throw a couple more out. So, yeah. uh, go to their webpage if you're interested in any of that. Uh, regular registration is 35 bucks and the, uh, VIP registration or whatever they call it. The good one that comes with swag bag is 95. So we, uh, I, I plan on attending and I hope to see some of you there. There you That's go. That's the news. Awesome. Fan freaking tastic. Yeah, I'm excited. So, yeah, uh, the coordinator for the historical war games at Adepticon reached out to me and asked if we were going to be there to cover. And I'm like, I don't know yet. Um, we'll see. Um, yeah, we'll see. he was, uh, he was on, he was on a live podcast the other day for, uh, Flames of War Group. I can't yeah. remember the name of it, uh, but uh, yeah, I caught caught him chatting a, a little bit uh, about what's uh, what's going to be going on. He seems really engaging and uh, super excited to be able to uh, increase the uh, amount of miniature gaming at or the amount of uh, historical uh, miniature gaming uh, at Adepticon. So. Yeah, yeah, we'll see. Good times. We'll see. Yeah. So, Jim, I have a question for you, sir. Uh, yep, I'm listening. Okay, so the question I have for you is, roughly, what was the area of the Battle of Midway? Mile, miles, square miles, would you say, roughly? Um, like, like I was saying, uh, at least several hundred miles on the side. Probably more like a thousand. A thousand square miles? Depending on, no, a thousand miles on a side. So a thousand times a thousand, a million square miles. <laughs> Um, that's a lot of miles. Yeah. But you can't get that on a table? No. I, yeah. I'm looking at a conversion uh, chart right now. Um, inches the, per the, the mile. The longest strikes. The longest. <laughs> well, I played I played on a map where it was 25 miles to the hex. Yeah. And it was at least, it was a five by, it was, a four, it was like a four by four map. Yeah. So there was at least 50 inches. Uh, per per side of the map, forty to fifty inches. 
Now, the longest strikes are never launched at that range. The aircraft just couldn't do it. But you have Catalina surge planes that can fly, you know, 500 miles out, 500 miles in. You've got to put the islands on there somewhere because part of the battle is whether or not the Japanese, that's going to be Kondo's second force, makes it to the island and actually launches the invasion or starts to bombard it with its battleships. That's probably the best shot you're going to have at the battleships actually firing their guns at anything. Yeah. Is if the older, creakier battleships and Kondo's force makes it to Midway. Yeah. Um, again, it depends on how far you want to zoom out. If you just want to recreate the strikes as they took place, the operational range for a plane back then was a carrier-based plane was like 180 to 220 miles, somewhere in there, there and back, carrying some sort of combat load. It's not It's not high. It's not like today's planes yeah. you know, at all. Um, so you can shrink it down a lot then, but if you're going to actually zoom out and do the battle, and make the important decisions where these fleets are and how you organize your searches. You know, you've got, like you said, land-based planes on Midway. Yeah, you're going to have to launch those Catalinas. That's what really wanted for the Americans. Um, you have Japanese search planes. They have a lot more of them, but they're all launched off of their heavy cruisers, uh, battleships, and carriers. So they're only single-engine planes, much shorter ranged. Yeah. Japanese um, uh submarines were supposed to watch Pearl Harbor and let the Japanese know when the American fleet left Pearl Harbor and sailed for Midway. They arrived too late. So do they arrive on time? Um, it's What really matters in the Battle of Midway is who finds who first, and it's both sides sort of playing a simultaneous uh, shell game. You know, am I here? No, I'm not. I'm over here. No, I'm not. I'm over, you know, bingo, I found you first. And both sides tend to find each other at about the same time, but one side or the other has like a two-hour advantage. And, uh, you know, I find you an hour before you find me, or you find me two hours before I find you, and that's that's the person that's usually going to win. And in order to do that correctly in a war game, you need a lot of space, a lot of elbow room. Because the there's no hiding a fleet in the ocean. The only way you can hide a fleet is in the vast expanse of the ocean, so you have to have that vast expanse. Yep. Yeah, I agree. So, uh, so what I'm thinking is, like you said, two tables. One is your what you call the admiral's table, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, and that would be your. Yeah, you that's where you're. You know, you're you're moving your fleets, right? Not your individual ships. Yeah. And then when you get into totally. within uh, a combat effective range, if you will, you know, like your air. Yeah, well, then you well, go to one, the big once, table. Yeah, once somebody finds, well, not only finds. Because uh-huh. um, that all gets resolved on the ba- on the uh, on the admiral's table. Yep. But once one side's strike group, you know, arrives over an enemy task force, both sides are are not just one huge fleet. They're going to be in like several groups all over the place. Right. Um, so it depends on who they find first, whether or not you want to prioritize that strike because you only get one first strike. Um, and if you find, you know, the Japanese tanker force or something, well, you know, maybe not give away your position with that. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, once an air, once one side's aircraft arrives over enemy ships, then you, then you actually set up the enemy ships and then you bring in the other side's, um, aircraft and you can, if you want, I never had to, but if you want, you could, you could game that out with miniatures. There you go. That's awesome. I'm excited. See how these things just pop into our heads? It's amazing. It's totally up to you guys. I I just personally prefer 1 to 1800. Um, A lot of people are going to disagree with me. 
a lot of old school hardcore cruiser engagement guys, um, World War One Jutland guys, stuff like that. I mean, like one to eighteen hundred is too big. You're gonna have engagement ranges with gunnery with fourteen inch naval rifles at like twenty feet. You know, the kind of the stuff we bitch about all the time. Um, and they're going to be right. But again, for the kind of naval gaming that I usually do, it's almost always aircraft carriers. And range doesn't matter at that point anyway. You've got a bomb or a torpedo dropping off of an aircraft, and those ranges are stunningly short. Yeah. If you want to do naval action, we have an op center uh, episode on this, anybody, if you're interested. If you want to do gunnery in the Pacific, you can. In fact, there was a lot of it, surprisingly. It's just all at night. And at night, those engagement ranges are nice and short. Again, islands that are close, and it's short-ranged night battles. Um, That's the only time that surface gunnery can ever really take place because in the daytime, aircraft are going to sink you 300 miles before you get within any kind of gunnery range. So I guess the point is that 1 to 1,800 might seem like a big scale, a lot of more classic gunnery guys, like, like people who play the Battle of Jutland and so on, prefer one to three thousand or one to six thousand. That's uh-huh. the reason they go for one eighteen hundred. I think one eighteen hundreds can be visually pleasing too. You know, got to think about it. What is you know, people are going to want to see ships, right? You know, if you do one to God, can you imagine one to six thousand? That little dinky. You know, we're talking really, really small. Well, if, if, if you're trying to do, like, an actual battleship engagement, you almost have to go to that scale yeah, unless yeah. you're playing on a tennis court. But, um, first of all, battleship engagement ranges are a lot shorter than people think. Those guns can shoot 25 miles. The longest range shot ever landed by one battleship on another battleship that was moving is something like 10 miles. It's like half the usual range. Um, so it's not as long as people think. And then on top of that... Yeah, to your point. I mean, you want to be able to tell which ship is which. So they have different looks. They have different, you know, architecture. Definitely yeah. want to be able to, you know, and you have to have the bigger skill in order to get those details, especially on camera. Most definitely. So, yeah. All right. Awesome. Well, it looks like we have our next project, and we're just going to figure out all the details and the all the good logistics and all the good stuff. And I see a big... Here's the good news. All the research is already done. Woohoo! And I can see and a, there's a shit ton of research and people who actually know more about this battle than me. Nice. And we'll have a big battle table. We'll, I'll have to move all the cars and stuff out of the garage, and we'll set it up in the garage. And then we'll have an admiral's table. And I'm, Chris, we have to find those headsets, like you see in the movies. Well, we we do have 3D printers. Yeah, but I, I'm going to go on eBay and see if I can actually find real ones, or at least a facsimile of. So, yeah, I mean, if we have to go 3D print route, we go 3D print route. But, man, could you imagine if we could get those? That'd be awesome. Yeah, I'd just say print them, paint them, <laughs> and then stick uh, one of the mics in them. Yeah. So, all right, cool. That is exciting news. Anybody else have any last-minute uh, things they'd like to discuss before we close out our first episode of Season 7? Uh, no, I'm good. All right, Jim's good. I, I, I think that battle of Midway's enough. <laughs> yeah. All right, let's get through uh, Rorik's Drift and then we'll start working on the next one. Right? Excellent. I'm so excited. All right, excellent. Guys, thank you so much for joining us today on this episode of the Sit Rep Podcast. Make sure you check out Jim's content tomorrow as he goes up against The Walking Dead. 
I, uh, I would hum the theme song, but I don't really remember the theme song. And it goes, something like that. Anyway, so they're going to take on some zombies and other uh, post-apocalyptic survivors. Who comes well, out we've got top? more than one player, so they yeah. might wind up taking on each other. That's awesome. And we're we're not gonna we're not gonna have the actual because I know the the miniatures game was really into this. We're not, which is why I didn't like the miniature game. Uh-huh. We're not gonna have the actual characters from the show. We're not gonna have Michonne sure, versus sure. Negan versus Rick. This is gonna be you know your special operations team. The world went to shit like two years ago. Um, you were out of National Guard armory, so you've been able to, you know, maintain weapons and ammo, and now you're out looking for supplies, and you run across this other group. Um, I mean, hell, the characters can be you if you want. I mean, it, doesn't, it doesn't matter. You know, it's it's sit rep skirmish. So, you mean, the, you the figures have individual names, but, uh, yeah, don't don't expect to see, like, Rick Grimes versus uh, Negan and Lucille and his bat and all that kind of nonsense. Exactly. Well, that's cool. That's, uh, you know. That's cool. And speaking of the Walking Dead miniatures game, uh, it is ceasing production and distribution as of March. Um, it will be completely removed from the catalog of Mantic Games. Uh, Ronnie made that announcement, uh, I think, last week. So if, the TV show is finally ending. Oh, is it? Thank God. I haven't watched it in years. Yeah, me too. I was going to say, that I think they're uh, they're syncing up with the TV schedule there. Good. So yeah, the, the, the yeah, season eleven is half out, and it's going to be the last season. The second part of season eleven comes out. I'm not sure exactly when. Now I don't know if that's going to be the end of the universe, because as everyone knows, Rick Grimes is still alive, and the reason they left him alive is they're supposed to bring him back for a trilogy of movies. Yeah. Well. So Walking Dead isn't exactly gone. Uh-huh. Uh, the, the the main TV show is definitely ending. Well, my personal opinion is the whole zombie thing's been played out. It's been so overdone. And Simon just came out with another Kickstarter for Marvel Hero Zombies, where they're all zombies or yeah. some crap like yeah, that. Yeah, I, I, saw, I saw that last night when I was oh my uh, God. checking I know, right? uh, last-minute news updates. <laughs> what so, helps The Walking Dead is that it hasn't been about zombies in about 10 years. Um, I mean, the zombies were scary at first, but now they're like a nuisance. Yeah. Uh, the, the, the drama and the, the conflict comes from other groups of survivors. Right. And that part's you know, like now they're actually trying to draft a constitution, and there's just another whole like nation that's sort of risen from the ashes, and that it's a little interesting. Yeah. Um, but as far as like starting off a whole new zombie franchise, yeah, it's like zombies and superheroes. Can we have a third idea, please? <laughs> okay. Goddamn Star Wars, goddamn zombies, and friggin' uh, superheroes. Enough is enough is enough is enough. Lucasfilm, DC, Marvel, sit down. You've had your turn. <laughs> Uh, unfortunately, no one's ready to take their place, so they're going to keep going. Jim, I, I, Meanwhile, Jim feels triggered. I love all that. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Jim's opinions Sorry. do not reflect the beliefs of the Red Podcast team. <laughs> you know, on an unrelated note, I did get uh, a, a Zombicide box for Christmas. <laughs> nah. Zombicide's actually a pretty good game. It actually is a pretty good game. It's a it's a beer and peanuts a pretzels game. Hey, who's putting out zombie content on the Sit Rep Podcast channel? Okay, thank you. Yeah, <laughs> uh huh. Yeah, you know what needs to come back is westerns. That's all right. A good western, not this crap that you know. But Yellowstone, it's really good. Really, it's really really good. But anyway, all right, guys. With that, you know we should do some westerns sometime down the road. Uh, we're gonna go ahead and close out the show. Thank you very much for joining us. Look forward to Jim's content tomorrow. 
and then uh, some other content coming down the pike over on Wednesday and then next weekend. And uh, for the rest of the team, this is Bill for the Citra Podcast. Thank you, as always, for joining us and supporting us through comments and liking the videos and subscribing and telling your friends. And if you have any ideas or any interest, please reach out to us, and we will be with you in two weeks with the next exciting podcast. So in the meantime, thank you very much. Take care, and we'll see you soon. You have been listening to the Citrep Podcast. We hope you have enjoyed the show. Make sure you like and subscribe to all of our channels on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Twitch, and Discord. Remember to join us every other weekend for a new episode of the podcast. And don't forget our other programming on Wednesdays and Sundays. Thanks for listening. 